Welcome everyone, so good to have all of you, Bluntstown, Shipley, and Mariana, as we are in our second week of our series entitled Voices, and it's absolutely good to get to be back with you this week. Uh, last week, I was with Matt Johnson, his team at Journey Church in Kentucky, had a great weekend with them, and then I spent this past week out in Wyoming at a pastor's retreat, and so if you tried to text me or email, I had no cell service or no uh, Wi-Fi all week long. I didn't even talk to my wife. All that was the hard part. The hard part is that trip. I didn't get to talk to my wife all week long, but it was an amazing retreat. So if you tried to reach out to me this week and I didn't respond, I wasn't ignoring you, but I really was. So um, anyhow, if there's anything that I can do for you, in fact, I found out a lot of people text me about different things and none of them ever came through because I had my phone off basically the whole week, but it was a great retreat, just hanging out with God and some buddies and a really, really great week. So I'm glad to be back. Um, now, we're in a series entitled Voices, and what we're doing this summer uh, for a few weeks is I'm... We all are hearing voices, and they're so loud in the world that we live, and they're screaming for our attention. And most of those voices are meaningless, and they're worthless, and they are going to take us down paths that are not going to bring the outcomes that many of us want to experience or any of us want to experience in life. And so what we're doing in this series is we're bringing in some voices that are speaking to some very specific things that we feel like that we need to hear. In fact, last week, you got to hear from Brian Pipping speak about the whole fact of the blessing and how valuable and important that is. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and watch or listen to this talk. Now, today we get to hear from our friend Dale Alexander, who is going to bring another perspective about life that I think is so, so important. In fact, um, for those of you on Chipley, Bluntstown, I've had multiple people tell me after this talk, um, hey, um, I'm going to go back and listen to that one three or four times. That's how powerful this voice is and this message that Dale has to bring to us today. So will all of you at all of our churches invite Dale Alexander to the stage this morning? <laughs> Thank you, man. It is so great to be back here. We were talking uh, yesterday, and I think it was 2018 when I was here the last time. So great to see you all. But just a little bit has happened since 2018, the last time I was here. Would you agree? So great to see you all. So we've all read it. We've all seen it. We've all yearned for it. It's the great ending to the horrible story. It's what the Hallmark Channel is built on, which is how my wife can make it through long, cold winters. But what makes the story so compelling? It goes something like this. Something was moving along, and that people knew things could be better. Then something bad happened. Nothing looks positive. Something good comes along, and then that fixes things. And then they lived happily ever after. The business tycoon saves the hotel. The knight slays the dragon. The athlete comes back and wins. It's the story of so many people's lives today, unhappy, unfulfilling lives that seem to want some magical knight to appear and save the day and then live happily ever after. But that's not real life. And if it were, the horse would poop in your living room, right? So why do so many of us have to wait until something big happens? The dragon is slain, we marry the person, we buy the house, we get the promotion to really feel happy and fulfilled. Look at this quote from The Progress Paradox. 
The percentage of Americans who describe themselves as happy has not budged since the 1950s, though almost all aspects of Western life have vastly improved in the past century. But today, most men and women feel like they are less happy than in previous generations. Maybe the Western society has lost its way, producing material goods in impressive excess, but also generating so much stress and pressure that people cannot enjoy what they attain. I mean, we are creating our own stress, anxiety, and worry. And part of this is the moving target. We haven't defined what happiness or success is, so it's always above or below where we are currently. So we always have this feeling of incompetence and failure. And that's what creates the chase for it. They say happiness is like a butterfly. The more you chase it, the more it will escape you. But if you turn your attention softly to other things, it will come and land gently on your shoulders. And today, I want us to figure out what those other things are and how to do that. By the way, how do you know if you are not living happily ever before? Men, if you think your wife's favorite flower is enriched self-rising, you are not living happily ever before. If you took a tax deduction for Metamucil as a moving expense, you are not living happily ever before. Adults, explain that to kids what Metamucil is. But is there something to the fact that our greatest stories, our greatest comebacks, seem to be when something was suffering, a greater vision was cast, something happened, then, and they lived happily ever after. It's the ending to almost every book and movie before 1960, remember? And they lived happily ever after. So my question to you is, was there ever an event a situation, a product that we have thought might fix a marriage, a bank account, a career move, well, if they would promote me too. Well, if I could get, well, why won't she? Mm -mm. If only he would, and we've all felt that, right? And the point is, many people struggle with their life and certainly their future until those things materialize. But some people choose to live life like regardless, whatever the circumstances, regardless of the situation, I'm all good. I love those people. It's funny, in over 30 years in the financial services industry, when I've talked to people in, in, in the happiest couples, the happiest times that most couples ever were, were when they were starting out in apartments. I mean, look at how many of you are nodding when I say that. And what changes? We have more money than we did back then. We have homes. Everything about our lives is at least materially better. Let's try and figure that out in the next few minutes together. So first of all, let's define what I mean by happily ever before. Living happily ever before is being at peace in marriage and or other relationships content with possessions, status, jobs, and a multitude of other life conditions without regard or reliance on any positive outside circumstance or event. Happiness is sometimes defined as contentment. 
And that contentment is so hard to find for many of us. By the way, what does being content even look like? Not like this. A man was asked by his wife, a man asked his wife, what would she do if he won the lottery? She said, I'd take half and leave you. He said, great, I won $12, here's six, stay in touch. <laughs> and, one, and one problem is, just about everything we see, read, hear, and touch is designed to make us feel incompetent, insufficient, and insecure about what we have, who we're with, and what we're doing. Think about social media. All we see on social media are highlight reels, and that's never the truth. Have you ever seen a great trailer for a movie and you go see the movie and it's terrible? It's because all you saw was the best and it wasn't the truth. I speak to a lot of high schools all over. My book, my first book just came out and it's about, uh, it's called The Talk About Money, A Young Adult's Guide to the One Decision That Changes Everything. And I go talk to these kids and I tell them that just about everything that they look at all day, every day, is trying to make you feel like you don't quite have enough, you deserve more, or there's something better out there. This is tearing us apart relationally, financially, emotionally, spiritually, socially. But that's hard. I mean, let's face it. Who knows what they really want? And let's analyze that in our time together. So to start on a trip, you need two things, where you are and where you want to go. And here's what stands in the way of that. So often, we live our lives on autopilot, just normal habits that start settling into ruts. And research shows that so many of these daily ruts are repetitive and negative. And this prevents us from living happy. Look at this jug. This is just an ordinary plastic jug. But what happens is the company that makes this jug buys these plastic pellets and they put these pellets into this extractor and it heats these pellets up, basically melts them, and then it sucks that, those melted pellets into this mold and it shapes them like this jug. And we are like those pellets and life is like that machine and it will take you and mold you into whatever it wants to. And without intentional effort against it, it will win every time. Social media platforms will turn us into whatever they want to, which is angry, anxious hoarders. And because of this, there are two things many people struggle with. Number one, who is the person I want to be and what impact do I want to have? And until you define that, you may be even hitting the target and not even know it. I'm going to tell several stories about my dad this morning, and he was a school superintendent, and we grew up in a small town in South Georgia. In fact, I live in a community in Atlanta that has more homes than my town had people in it, small town. And my dad always talked to me and my brother about, should I have taken y'all to bigger towns and had more opportunities? And I said, dad, daddy, listen, I would have, if you had taken us to those big towns, I would have never played on that football team if we had gone there. I would have never played on that baseball team if we had gone there. I would have never walked out of my backyard and hunted dove in my backyard. We would have never grown watermelons in this field and driven it to Cordial to the farmer's market if we had gone to those places. I would have never known what all sections of the socioeconomic were world like. It was such a rich life for us. He was killing it at providing a great life for us. And I don't think he fully realized it. 
I got a letter sent to my house one time. It said, Dale Alexander, Vienna, Georgia. Just my name in the city, and I got that letter. Kind of town where you make the, get the wrong phone number and you still talk 20 minutes. I mean, that's, how, that's where we grew up, right? So how do we live this life that's happily ever before something has to happen to live happy? Here's what I want us to do in our time together. I want to give three overarching rules on how I think we fix this issue and then just talk about some random ways inside those rules to solve it and feel better about our lives. So here we go with the three rules to live happily ever before. Number one, be someone of value. Number two, do something of value. And number three, teach someone those values. First of all, be someone of value. Now, let me start by saying this. We are all valuable because we're created in the image of God. That means we have value, not necessarily that we produce value. Everyone can, but not everyone chooses to. Let me define, first of all, what I mean by value. I think this is important. Value is doing acts of worth or importance that elevate the quality of a person or environment. It becomes a standard or principle that guides actions and sets an environment. And if you have kids or if you're a young adult in this room, this is very important. My friend Tim Elmore talks about we can either be thermostats or thermometers. We can either reflect back our environment or thermometer, what our surroundings are. We give back what is given or we set the atmosphere in an environment, thermostats. Do you want to be someone that just goes along with the prevailing thoughts, opinions, and actions of others, thermometers? Or do you want to be known for what you stand for? Something. Stand for anything. Just stand. Set the atmosphere. Be a thermostat. And some may say, this isn't really that big of a deal. Yes, it is. Yes, it is a big deal. Do we want our children to reflect the climate or to set it? To go along or to lead? And valuable people develop values and principles to live by, and they set the tone for others. And people who live happily ever before are comfortable in knowing that they're setting a tone and an environment that's valuable to the community and ultimately the world. Our values, part of our reputation, are what we become known by. My pastor, Samer Massad, Woodstock City, says reputation is currency. It is a medium of exchange that holds value relationally and even professionally. I remember my, my company, uh, we do employee benefit work for schools. Jackson County Schools is one of our clients. I remember a long time ago, we were at, I was at a finalist presentation in South Georgia school. And I'm doing this talk to the board members and I'm talking to my dad as a school superintendent just near here. And the board chairman stops me. He says, wait a minute, is your daddy Warren Alexander? And I said, yes, sir, he is. He looks at his board members. He says, I know this boy's daddy. He's a great man. This has to be a great man too. You see, as my pastor said, a good reputation opens doors. A bad one closes them. A good reputation creates opportunities like I had there. A bad one destroys them. A good reputation increases influence. A bad one destroys it, suffocates it. A good one builds trust. A bad reputation erodes it. And we decide how much that currency is worth. No one wants a bad reputation. 
It takes longer to build a good one than a bad one. It's easier to ruin a good reputation than redeem a bad one. And if you remember what I mentioned stands in the way of that good currency, that value to the community and the world. Again, so many times we're just on autopilot, letting habits and routines guide every action of every day over and over. And many of these daily routines are negative and repetitive. And some of us may get to the end and say, is this what it was all for? So what is an answer to life's struggle for happiness? Well, as always, a book in the Bible, Proverbs, holds the secret to the problem of unhappiness. And nowhere is this truer than one of the greatest, I think, or certainly in the top 10 greatest verses in the Bible to me. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And here's why this is so important to our mental fight with unhappiness. It forces you to know what you stand for. Like my mama. Anybody else in here? My mama would not let me and my brother watch happy days. Is it just me? Is it just our, it's just our house. Here's why. <clears throat> because the one time my mama walks in the living room. Y'all remember Happy Day? Anybody remember Happy Day? The one time my mama walks in the living room when me and my brother were watching Happy Days, Fonzie is teaching Richie how to unlock a bra with one snap of a finger. <laughs> the one time my mama walks in the living room, that's what she hears from Happy Days. My mama walks in and hears that and goes, well, I tell you one thing we're not going to be doing in this house. We're not going to be watching. Have, I'm like 10 years old. I'm like, oh, man. And she goes over there. That old TV start. Anybody remember that TV? You'd push the buttons. That starts turning. Remember that TV? And you click it one too far, and it'd have to go all the way back around. Oh, man. It'd have to go all the way back around. Remember rotary phones? Let me, let me step off for a second. Remember rotary phones? Y'all ever have one of them friends that had like 0090 was their last number? You know, the four digits. Like, had all them, had like three, and, and had so many zeros. And you dial that zero. And you'd have that friend and go, look, I love you, man. I enjoy being around you. But you got three zeros and a nine in your number. We just can't be friends. I can't call you. Half the people in this room are sitting there going, what is he talking about? Have no, explain to them what we're talking about. Everyone looks at everything through their own lens. Know what you stand for. You've heard that saying, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I mean, many people have a talk, what we say we stand for, and then we all have a walk, what we actually do. And when our walk doesn't line up with our talk, when our actions don't line up with our spoken beliefs, our true north gets off. And this creates, whether we know it or not, a mental discontent, an unhappiness that has people feeling like their life is heading downhill. So what's a way to know how to do this, to walk the talk? First of all, it's to realize that the outcome isn't about the income. Know what success looks like. Because see, our true value is never in our status, our car, our job. Rather, it's in the name that we build by the value we bring to others in the walk and how we walk the talk of our lives. 
And if we start placing our value and our numbers at work, we're more likely to cut the corners, fudge the numbers, and make compromising decisions. My, my middle child, Grant, loves mega yachts, and he wanted to go, he's always wanted to go to the Fort Lauderdale Boat Show. So we to go this past year, we go to the Fort Lauderdale Boat Show. It's just different, a whole different world. And the largest ship there is like 400 something, so it's a huge, it's a ship. And he goes, who, who's the, who built this? And he goes, so-and-so, he's in prison for money laundering. He cut the corners. And here's the thing about that earlier board meeting where the board member stopped me and talked about my dad. When he asked me if Warren Alexander was my dad, I could not wait to tell him, yes, that's my dad. I could not wait to hear what he was about to say about my father because I knew that man walked his talk and I got that gift. And for me to live happily ever before, I want that good name. I want that esteem that my dad had. Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. And what does that leave behind? I, led a, I got to co-lead a, a leader group at my church with a group of young men in our church. And we each told the stories of our families one night. And out of 11 of the young men, one of them, only one of them had a decent family unit. One. Drugs, alcohol, mental, sexual abuse. And when I spoke about my family, especially my dad, and I've talked to y'all before about how much I love my mama. When I talk about my daddy, every one of the 11 but one of those men had tears in their eyes. We are starving for people to leave a good name, for people who are esteemed. And as men, sometimes we want to we wanna win, but we mess up sometimes, especially with our wives, like this man. They, this man and his wife were at the mall shopping, and he goes off somewhere like we tend to do. We drift away, and she calls him, and she says, where are you? And she says, he says, oh, uh, hey, baby, um, look, do you remember one of our early dates? You, you were at that little jewelry store, and, and you were saying how much that beautiful necklace was with the charm that reminded you of our journey together, but it was just too expensive to buy it. She starts welling up with tears. She says, yes, sweetie, I remember that. Why? He says, well, I'm in the hunting store next to that place. <laughs> So, so to develop your own winning formula for building a great name, think of people that you truly admire and think of the qualities, write out the top characteristics that they embody that you admire and would like to be known for. My parents, certainly my parents would be my top. Hopefully your parents would be at the top of that. But I'll start with another one. For me, Billy Graham. For his life devotion to Jesus, for his marriage, for his courage, for his boldness. He was a thermostat. Another one that I love, Condoleezza Rice. The second tip to living happily ever before is to do something of value. Do something of value. Now, everyone, everyone wants to feel like they're doing something of important. Look, it might just be in the grandma and grandkids, but everyone wants to feel important to someone or something. 
And the longer that impact lasts, the greater we feel. I was having a, a lunch with a friend of mine. Uh, he was newly retired recently. And I said, how's retirement going? What was it like? And he said, the hardest thing about it is the feeling of irrelevance the fact that I'm not contributing to anything. And there's something in that, and we all have it. Every one of us in some way wants to feel important to something, some cause, some reason for being here. This is an amazing story. Ernest Shackleton, look at this, this, this advertisement. Ernest Shackleton was an adventurer, and he was attempting to reach the South Pole in 1907. Look at this ad. Let me see if I can read it. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, Long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Who would sign up for that? Would you? First of all, if you go to the South Pole, you're upside down the whole trip. Am, am I right? Think about it. Over 5,000 people lined up to sign up for that journey. 5,000 people. He handpicked 27. They all survived and became famous. We all want a purpose. And the bigger the purpose, the less we care about material success. So answer this question. What is the big thing that you're working on? Big is an acronym. First of all, B, I couldn't think of anything smarter than just big. <laughs> it's got to be big. That's all I got, y'all. B means big. It has to be big to you. It has to mean something. I, it has to be inspiring. Not only to others, it needs to be inspiring to you. And so many times, well, I'm just too tired. You're not too tired. You just haven't found out what you're passionate about yet. And G, this big thing should guide others to a better life. And the best way to find your big thing is to ask two questions. What breaks your heart? And then what are you going to do to make it better? That's why I wrote my first book about money for children. I just want to change the saving and giving habits of youth in this country. These things, this big thing is all about love. And who spoke more about love than Jesus? He said, they will know you follow me if you just love others. And if each of us takes our gift in our place and uses it for all of our purpose, imagine what could happen. And that is something that surely has people living happily ever before. Because it is impossible to feel hopeless when you're giving hope. Well, Dale, I ain't got nothing to give. Right. And Thomas was a doubter. Jacob was a cheater. Sarah was impatient. Peter had a temper. David was an adulterer. Abraham was a liar. Moses was angry. Paul was a murderer. And Lazarus was dead. Yeah, I guess you're right. As T.D. Jake says, strange storms precede great miracles. Look here. When God chose me for what he wanted to do me, he already factored in how dumb I am. It was never promised to be easy. Struggle, imperfections in this thing are inevitable. Use them. Turn your mess into your message. Take your test and make it part of your testimony. 
I think I've talked to y'all about it. I don't know why. I've had four strokes. I don't know why. I don't know why I can still stand, swallow. I don't, I'm still here. I don't know why. I don't know. All I can do is take the part of the story that it is and just use it. One day I'll find out, by the way. By the way, an arrow gets shot by pulling it back. If you feel life's pulling you back, I want you to just get ready to launch out into that thing, right? <laughs> just say, somebody come up to you. You're having a struggle. I'm just getting ready to launch. I will run up on you. <laughs> yep, just go up to them and let's see you. Just uh, getting ready. Get out of here. And here's one way to help strengthen people into their beautiful purposes. Listen to this. Be an encourager. You ever notice how powerful discouragement is? They say one negative power, one negative comment is 16 times more powerful than a positive one. People are like porcupines. You, lot of, you got a lot of good points, but don't nobody want to be around you. <laughs> and even after a victory in our lives, one random comment can erase all that. And we, we try hard and we don't succeed. It can be discouraging. And our own self-talk is usually the hardest thing that lands on us, our own self-talk. So how do we fuel our hearts with encouragement? How do we do that? How do you fill your heart? What do you watch? What do you read? What are you listening to? Who are you surrounding yourself with? How do you talk to yourself? And what are you visualizing? Paul even told us this in Philippians 4.8. Listen to the motivator he was. Whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, Whatever's lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And you have a purpose, a mission here. And to accomplish it, you need, it takes awareness of how you fuel your heart. How do you fuel your heart? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you, how are you talking to yourself? And what are you visualizing? Listen to this. Will my words be life-giving for others today? Life-giving for others. There are two seas between Jordan and Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee, it's Lake Tiberias, and the Dead Sea. They're actually lakes. And the Jordan River feeds both of them. And everything that flows into the Sea of Galilee is fresh water. It's life-giving to plants and fish. And it flows out to others. But everything that flows into the Dead Sea stops. It dies. It's eight to ten times saltier than the ocean. The sea kills everything. What kind of spirit does your life give off? One of growing or killing and one way to have a break from the feelings of unhappiness and unimportance is to consider that every person is going through something. Every person has a pain in their life. I don't know who said this. They are either in it, they're headed to it, or they're coming out of it. Am I an encourager to those around me, knowing that I may be the only source, their only source of hope, of happiness, of healing, of a glimpse of what Jesus might look like, hopefully it looks like me, in their life in a year. And when you light another candle, yours never gets darker. And the more you lift others, the lighter load you carry. Our minds know this. Listen, God even created us 
our minds to reward us. Dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, chemicals that get released in your brain when you do good things. He even built a reward system like Pavlov's dog. Bell rings, dog slobber gets a treat. Bell ring, dog slobber gets a treat. Help people get a great feeling, get a treat. And doesn't cost a single cent to live happily ever before. The third thing to do to live happily ever before, teach someone those values. I love to tell wiser people, get young people to mentor. I love taking people to Waffle House and just sit there and breakfast and, and just share. And if you teach one, you take a young, you take, take someone, you teach one, eventually you'll have a lot of ones to do something for. Here's one of my longtime beliefs. Poor people should take rich people to lunch. This has nothing to do with money. I could be poor in my spiritual life, poor in parenting skills, in marital harmony, in how to manage money, poor in work ethic. Poor means anything I feel I am lacking in what could be. And there are people all around who do things better. They are rich in a skill or knowledge in that area, and I should be taking them to lunch. Take what is inside you and pour it on others. God created you to be a spigot, not a bucket. And it costs nothing to pour into others. Teddy Roosevelt said, do what you can where you are with what you have. What is my purpose and place in this world? Almost every person struggles with that at some point. Look for places to add value because purpose gives life. And if you can wrap that purpose with bringing others along with you, you will truly live happily ever before. Let me start closing this out. I saw an ad for this lake plate, this lake community up in Atlanta. It said, you're so close to having it all. Wow, really? I didn't know I was so close to having it all. You see, the world is going to tell you, you're not perfect the way you are. The world is going to tell you you're not happy and that you need things to be perfect and happy. And to live happily ever before, I need to choose carefully the source of my value, the source of my value, my destiny, and my hope. And you do that by looking for the burning bushes. People say God doesn't speak in burning bushes anymore. That's a lie. God sends us answers more than we ever realize. It's up to us to look for the signs. Let me tell you the greatest story of my life. Let me tell you the most impacting event in my life. It happened on August 10th, 1992 in room 226 of a Holiday Inn in Brooksville, Florida. This massive storm hurricane is beginning to crank up and starting to come across Florida. I'm in the second floor of this Holiday Inn and beside this Holiday Inn in Brooksville, Florida is a field, a terrible storm. None of the hotels are, have any vacancies. Everybody's coming up 75 trying to get out of this storm, this hurricane. And I'm sitting and looking at this horrible storm and in this field beside the hotel is this little bush about five feet tall. And I'm sitting on the bed. I'd been wrestling with God. I knew God wanted me to just go a different path in my life. I knew I just wasn't living how I should live. And I was, we were fighting. We were having a lot of 
conversations. And I'm sitting on the bed. I'll never forget this. I'm sitting on the bed and I'm looking out at this storm that keeps coming under and the wind, the rain is hitting my hotel room and then it would stop and I could see out there in that field. And I look out in that field and there's that little tree, a little bush. I apologize for the loud sound I'm about to make. I'm looking at that little bush and I sit there and I literally, I verbally say out loud, I wonder why that tree has never been struck by lightning. Bam! Within two seconds of finishing that sentence, lightning hits that bush. It lights up for about five seconds, so bright, I literally have to turn away from it. And I'm looking at it and after five seconds, it goes out as fast as lightning struck it. Now I go, I'm all in here. I'm all good. I'm in. (laughs) I'm on the bus. I don't know if you know what a direct lightning strike does to anything. To a green mature pine tree, it will vaporize the inside of it and kill the largest trees in a second. Not mentioning a five foot bush. That's not the best part of the story. Let's fast forward 17 years, 2009. I've run the Disney Marathon. And after the marathon, we all start driving back. And I'm driving, I'm driving. They're all asleep. Why am I driving? I just ran a marathon. Why am I driving? And they're all asleep. My family's all asleep. So I'm driving our suburban. We're headed up 75. And I'm sitting there driving and I go, I have to do this. I have to see. And I pull off the exit. Nothing is developed beside the hotel. And we go up this hill. There's still a field there. And I look out in this field. And there's my tree. There's my bush. And you don't believe it, Jeff, next slide. Look at what's coming out of the top of it. The dead bush from August 10th, 1992. My bush was a real bush. But I believe his bushes can also be of a different nature. A friend's encouragement, a call at an exact moment. What is God? What are people trying to tell you and guide you? And it's funny, I say a lot of things when I speak and a lot of it may not land on people, but it's amazing how people come up and say how something that I said landed on them. It could be different things. But when you said this, Dale, this meant this to me in my life. This landed on me this way. I needed this. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's God speaking in burning bushes today. And I say this to encourage you to let some of you know. Maybe he's trying to tell us things in those moments of coincidence, those comments that we say, wow, what a small world. Maybe no, it's a big God. Maybe that's a burning bush. My life was literally changed because I saw a literal burning bush. You see, God's message to me was that my past did not define my future. Because when the negativity of your past is greater than the hope for your future, you're done. And that's not God's story of why you were created. Not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to clear your path. And it's up to us to study the purpose of the storm and where are the bushes. And I want to encourage you in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the storm, write down three things you are grateful for because of the storm. 
Be grateful. And be thankful for at least one thing every day and verbally say it out loud. Hear yourself say something you're grateful for every day. Here's why. Because the more we have, the harder it becomes to be grateful for it. Listen to this quote by Clay Scroggins. Someone is praying for the things that we take for granted. And when I'm having a bad day, I need to realize that some people would give everything they have to have a million of my worst days. And here's a great way to live happily ever before. Realize there will be a last time for everything. There was a last time our children told my mom, Mama, will you push us in the swing? There was a last time. There was the last time my boys said, Daddy, will you carry me up the stairs on your back? God, I wish they'd say that one more time. There was the last time. There was the last time my mom told me she loved me. There will be a last time I hug my wife. It's been one of the most impacting realities in my life. It makes me put down my phone and listen with my eyes. I heard... When you die, there should be little pieces of yourself scattered across the country because the impact you had on others. Like this email I got one day, and I'll close. Dale, good morning. I'm not sure you remember me. I played football, number 16, for your dad at Hayhira High School. I'm contacting to let you know that I'm writing a memoir about my years growing up on a dirt road near Hayhira. While this memoir is intended to be entertaining, it's also to let my grandkids know about the two most important people in my life growing up. One is my mother, and the other is Coach Warren Alexander. Your dad had a tremendous influence on a peanut-sized dirt road boy, an influence of a magnitude he never imagined. I have several stories in this memoir about him and how much I loved him. His influence affected my entire life, and I want my sons and grandsons to know about him. I remember that day in August 1962 when the attached picture was made like it was yesterday. I consider that day one of the greatest days of my life. Coach made me feel like I was a real football player that day. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And while he might not have thought he was hitting on all cylinders, if I could be one-tenth the man Warren Alexander ever was, I will forever have lived happily ever before. And I pray y'all can have that life too. Go live happily ever before. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, I just, uh, wow, just thank you for just so much. But this, this word of a good name is, is more desirable than, than gold or riches. And to be esteemed, to be thought well of is just better than silver or gold. Help us to realize that this week. 
And to think on that thought, and as we go through life, to leave little bits and pieces of ourselves scattered across this country because the influence that we have on others. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. See you next week. Great to be with you. see their faces when you audition. And remember, I'll be praying for you the whole time. And you let them know. If they don't cast my little girl for this part... Dad, I'll be fine. Thanks. I love you. I love you too. Bye-bye. our time together today, I want to talk about an ancient concept called the blessing. Uh, It's a powerful parental tool that comes inherent with the influence that God has given us with our kids. And I wanted you to see that piece of media because I think in a three-minute video, they probably will do a better job than I'll do over the next 35 minutes. Uh, But uh, you thought you knew where that video was going, didn't you? In the first half, you got the feeling and the emotion of what it would be like to grow up without 
a blessing from your parents. And in the second half, you felt all the emotion of what it's like to have a blessing. I believe this is such, such an important concept for all of us as parents. I, I want to, before we dive into the content this morning, I want to uh, pray for us. I want to pray for all of us in the room, first of all, that we would be open to receive what is an ancient concept, but it has such relevant application for us today. And then secondly, I want to pray for those in the room who maybe feel that you grew up without a blessing. And uh, if that's who you are, no one needs to tell you, you know. And my prayer for you will be that you will not have all the negative messages of your past so drowned out the truth that you have a heavenly father who has a blessing for you every day of your life. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray that as we, uh, as we gather around kind of an ancient text, an ancient story, that God, our hearts would be open to receive a relevant truth for today. And Father, I pray for those who already are hearing the voices from their past and the voices that made it clear that they were not blessed, that they did not have a blessing from their parents. And Father, I pray that uh, you would overcome all of those voices with the voice of our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us and who gave us the very best blessing in the person of his son who died on the cross and was raised again for us. And Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as Kevin so kindly said in his introduction, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor of Bay Life Church, one of the regional partner churches with RCC. And we are so excited these days at Bay Life about all that God is doing. And he's gathering so many people from the eastern shore over near Mobile. And uh, people are coming to faith in Christ and they're being changed. And none of that would be possible without the generosity of this church. And I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you who are part of helping to build a network of strategic partner churches all across the Southeast who are going to proclaim the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that it can change the lives of people. Could you help me just say thank you back to RCC? Thank you guys so much, so much for all you've done. Well, I was so excited and honored when Paul called me uh, and asked me to speak today. Uh, that was until I found out, I think I was his fourth call. I don't know, maybe five. But uh, Paul and I have been friends since we were 10 years old. Our fathers were great friends. And uh, I grew up here in East Jackson County. And uh, Paul and I, uh, kind of growing up, fell in love with uh, the church and decided to give our lives away to the church. Paul stayed. I traveled the world, but God has graciously brought me back home in these days, and I'm getting to help plant a church um, out on the eastern shore uh, in Fairhope, Alabama. We are excited about what's going on. Well, hey, uh, let's dive into what God has for us today. Uh, summer months are kind of milestone months for most families. So let me see the hands of all those of you who have had to attend to graduation uh, in May. All righty, leave them up. How many of you have gone to a family reunion already or will this summer? Okay, leave them up. How many of you have had to go to a wedding? 
Okay, you can put them down. You know what? I think I've done all of those things uh, already this summer. And those moments, those milestone moments are really critical uh, when it comes to family development because those are times when we get to release what we call the blessing. And uh, I've had the privilege as a pastor to do a couple hundred weddings. I've done, uh, I don't know, it seems like a thousand graduation parties. But uh, when I have conversations, I'm talking about real conversations with uh, parents and grandparents that are gathered there, in addition to the pride and the joy that, that just overwhelms them in that moment, there is a single question in all of their hearts. And it's this question, are they ready? Are they ready? Are they ready for what's next? Are they ready for college? Are they ready for marriage? Are they ready to start raising kids? Are they ready? You know, those are some of the most foundational questions that any parent or any grandparent could ever ask. And those those questions really lead us to a place where we are hungry for something that could give us those answers, that we could get to those milestone moments as a parent or grandparent and feel like, hey, I, I think they are ready. I think we've given them what they need. Wouldn't that be absolutely awesome? And I think it's the blessing. I think it's this ancient concept that, uh, that we need to revive again today in our families Uh, So what is the blessing? Well, I want to give us a working definition. It's this. uh, A blessing is the intentional transfer of parental affirmation and prayer for God's favor on the next generation. The intentional transfer of parental affirmation and a prayer for God's favor on the next generation. Well, in order to kind of reclaim this concept from ancient literature, we're going to go back to the story of the patriarchs. The patriarchs were four guys in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They were all in the same family, but represented different generations. And the blessing was something that was declared in the transition points between generations. When Abraham was dying, he blessed Isaac. And when Isaac was dying, he blessed his sons. And when Jacob was dying, he blessed his 12 sons. And and, and the same with Joseph. But this really leads us to kind of the first transferable truth. This is the the take home for today. Here's the transferable truth for today. It's that the blessing may be declared in a moment, but is transferred over a lifetime, right? Right? Diane and I, uh, my wife, uh, we have seven kids. It's, uh, it's a freakishly large family. Um, and uh, now five of them are married. We have 10 grandchildren in county. I don't know how that happened, and I'm still 45 years old, but it was a miracle, I think. Um, but uh, anyway, so we have this massive tribe now, and Diane and I, unless we get wiped out in a car accident, and God forbid, but I suppose that could happen, but if that doesn't happen, our plan is that toward the end of our run, we will have some goodbye moments. We will have some moments where we gather our seven kids and our 10 plus grandkids and, and where we declare blessing over them. But if we wait until that day to declare a blessing, we've missed the point of the blessing because a blessing is 
declared in a moment, but it's delivered over a lifetime. So what I'd like to do in the, in the time that remains today is I want to kind of with broad strokes give you what the uh, kind of what the content of a blessing looks like and then what it looks like when it's present and when it's absent. Now a blessing would only be present in the next generation for one reason, because the parents or grandparents intentionally placed it there. But it could be absent in the next generation for a couple of reasons. Either it was never offered, which would, that would be on the parents or the grandparents, or it was offered and never received. And that's really sad, but often happens. So uh, let's dive in here. And uh, of all the stories that kind of reflect this concept of the blessing, we could talk about when Abraham blessed Isaac or when Jacob blessed his 12 sons or when Joseph blessed his two sons, but none of those stories is clear or more thorough when it comes to talking about the blessing than Isaac's blessing of his two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. So uh, we're going to be in Genesis 27. Uh, that chapter is kind of massive, and so there's no way that we could cover the whole thing. So I'm going to kind of tell you the story, and then I'm going to read a short portion of the story from Genesis 27. Uh, so here's the context. Isaac, the father, is old, very old, and he's stricken with infirmities. He's blind. In fact, he's so blind, he wouldn't recognize the person standing in front of him. He and his wife, his wife is Rebecca, they've had a sin in their family from go, from the beginning. It's the sin of favoritism. Esau was the oldest of the boys born just a few moments ahead of his twin brother. He was Isaac's favorite. Esau, man's man, right? Hunter gatherer. Said he had a ruddy complexion. He was an outdoorsman. Um, if he lived in Jackson County, he'd be in the F-150 with the dog box in the back and the gun rack in the window, right? That's who Esau is, camo hat, shirt, and pants. And that's what he wears to church, right? So this is Esau. It's kind of understanding as dads that we, that would normally be your favorite, right? And uh, I mean, this guy is such a man's man. It says he had hair on the back of his hands. I mean, you got to be a man to have hair on the back of your hands, right? Isaac's favorite, right? Jacob, very smart dude, very articulate business acumen. It says that he would, over the course of his life, he would take the wealth and power he got from his father and his grandfather, and he would more than triple it. At the end of his life, it says he would be exceedingly wealthy. Jacob was his mom's favorite, Rebecca's favorite. And because Isaac and Rebecca never resolved this sinful conflict between them, they lied to each other about favoritism. They hid from one another what they were doing to show favoritism. And because of that, it broke the integrity of their home. It literally shattered it. One more piece of contextual information before I read to you from the text. Um, the blessing was two parts. There were two components. The first was the birthright. The birthright is kind of the uh, legal last will and testament. The birthright would have brought three gifts. 
a financial stake in the family, the oldest son would have gotten the birthright. He would have gotten 66% of the inheritance, no doubt making him a favorite among all of his siblings, right? He gets 66%, everybody else shares the rest, okay? The second thing is he would be the organizational leader for the family or the tribe for all of his generation. And then there was a spiritual component. He would be the de facto priest of the family, Three components, three gifts wrapped up in the birthright. What happened to Esau's birthright? Well, if you know the story, it's a tragic one. Esau has been out on a hunt, a multi-day hunt. He comes back. He is famished. He's ravenously hungry. He smells what's coming from the cooking tent, and he walks in, and there's his brother Jacob over a pot of stew, and he says, I must have it. Well, Jacob may have been a little smarter then he saw certainly more conniving. And he sees a moment where he can leverage this moment for power and money. And he says, okay, I'll trade you the pot of stew for your birthright. And I don't know if he saw, didn't take him seriously, or if he thought, I don't really need this family. I'm a man's man. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. He's already an independently wealthy individual, and I'll just make it on my own. I need that stew. And so he trades his birthright for the stew. Later, as he reflected back on that, he said, my brother tricked me out of my birthright. Well, there's still the blessing Esau could still get the blessing, right? The blessing was kind of the spiritual component. It was the personal component. It was also the day of transfer. When the blessing was declared, you got everything that was in the birthright and the blessing. This was the greatest day of your life if you're the oldest son. Well, Isaac calls his son Esau in and says, today is the day. This is the greatest day of your life. You are going to be blessed today. I'm going to declare the blessing. So this is what I want you to do. Go out into the field, take your bow, uh, take down a deer, bring it here, fix the venison the way I like it, and we'll drink and we'll eat and I will bless you. Awesome. Esau goes about doing what his father told him to do. Well, through the tent wall, Rebecca hears, and now it's time to play the game of favorites. And she runs and gets Jacob and says, this is the day your father's going to bless your brother. We've got to get in there and steal it. And she said, I'm going to dress you in a robe from your brother's closet. So you're going to smell like him. And we're going to take some wool from the sheep and put it on the back of your hands. So when your father feels the back of your hands, he'll know it's Esau. And I'm going to take some lamb meat and some mutton and I'm going to fix it up like his favorite venison dish. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. And you're going to go in and you're going to lie and cheat and steal and rob the blessing from your brother. What an amazing family, right? And they do exactly that. Jacob walks in and he greets his father and the voice doesn't match. Didn't think about that. And Isaac is used to being lied to in his family. And so he's like, come near, come close to me so I can smell you. And he brings him in and he smells him. You smell like Esau. And, And he felt the back of his hand. He said, you feel like Esau. And then he just asked him, are you my son Esau? And Jacob said, I am. And a deception became a lie, which became an epic robbery. Wow. 
Now, that's a, that's a monumental and tragic moment in the life of a family. But there are some things that are about to happen that we can learn from, that are transferable, that would be helpful. Let's watch God redeem this moment for your family and for my family. Okay? Um, I want to read to you the blessing prayer because that's how the blessing would come. It would be a prayer. And uh, Isaac is going to pray. He's going to pray for God's favor on who he thinks is Esau. It's actually Jacob. And he's going to pray for four things. He's going to pray for prosperity and power and prominence and protection. Right? Let's, let's go to the text and follow along as I read through. Now, Genesis 27 says, May God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. So this is the prosperity piece. I, I, they, they measured prosperity by your ability to feed your family. It was an agrarian society. And so it was all of it. He said, I'm, I want you to have all the prosperity that's possible. And then he says, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. This is the power piece right? Isaac knew what it was like to be pushed off of his land. Uh, One of the things Isaac was good at was digging wells because he had to move so much because as his wealth grew, as his flocks and herds grew, uh, they began to push out and consume all the pasture land and the nation states around them came after him and says, you've grown too wealthy and too powerful. us. Uh, You have to move away from us. And Isaac is here praying and includes in his blessing prayer, I want the next generation to be at rest and I want them to have so much power that the other people have to move. It goes on in the next verse. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. This is the prominence piece. You're going to be head of the family. Uh, He had officially made his brother and all the servants in the house now would be Jacob's servants. And now the protection piece. Cursed be everyone who curses you and be blessed by everyone who blesses you. This is a piece of the Abrahamic covenant that was first given in Genesis 12 to Abraham and, and then was transferred to Isaac when Abraham passed. And now Isaac is about to pass and he's passing it on to his son, So out of all of this, what is usable for you? What's transferable? So I want to kind of step in and and show you what the components are of when we transfer a blessing and, and what our children and our grandchildren would have if we truly bless them. What are the transferable pieces? First of all, let's be reminded of our definition so we can sync up with what we believe a blessing is. It's the intentional transfer of parental affirmation and prayer for God's favor on the next generation. So this is what we're trying to accomplish. So what are the handles? What are the components? Well, there are five of them. We're going to step through them real quickly. The first component is prayerful. A blessing must be prayerful. Jacob prayed the blessing, right? And that prayer began with, may God give to you. And when I say it's prayerful, we're not speaking for God. We're not standing in God's place. We're pleading with God that he would pour out his favor on the next generation. And we're attaching to that our affirmation of our children and our grandchildren. Okay. At the end of Jacob's life, as he's about to bless his 12 children, he gives this great and poetic line. It says, may the God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this day, bless my sons now. Let me ask you a question. It may seem a bit odd, but it shouldn't be. 
Do you pray a blessing over your kids? I mean, you ought to. I mean, when they're small, you tuck them into bed at night. You ought to pray a blessing of protection over them as they sleep. And at the, at the mealtime, you play, uh, pray for uh, God's provision for them for all of their life. And when they graduate high school, you're going to pray a blessing over them as they head off to college. And, and when they get married, you're going to pray a prayer of blessing. I have five daughters in my seven kids, so pray for me. But uh, one of the most precious moments I had with any of my daughters is that moment right before I would walk them down the aisle and I would take them by the shoulders and our foreheads would touch. And I would pray a final prayer of blessing for them as they become the wife of some undeserving person, (laughs) right? May God bless them. And when I hold each of those grandbabies after they're born, we immediately pray a prayer of blessing. A blessing is prayerful. You ought to pray blessing over your children. Number two, a blessing is personalized. You can't bless your kids specifically if you don't know them individually. You have got to know your kids. That means you got to be in their stuff. Every now and then, I meet parents who think their kids do only good. You don't know your children, right? Talk to their coach, talk to their teacher. I was, I was Kevin Yoder's principal. I can tell you stories. You think Kevin is perfect. Let, come see me afterwards, right? Um, You got to know your kids. It's got to be personalized, right? When Jacob, at the end of his life, blessed his 12 sons, he knew them, the good and the bad. He called out the bad and the good. When he blessed Judah, Judah was like the third in the line, but he was the one that Jacob gave the birthright to because the, the first sons disqualified themselves. He called him a lion's cub. He was the alpha male, in the tribe. And a lion is the king of the jungle. And from Judah would come every king that would rule in Israel, including David and including Jesus Christ, would come from the tribe of Judah. And then there was Benjamin, the last of the sons, right? He called him a ravenous wolf. You know what a wolf is? It's a hunter, a great fighter. Uh, The tribe of Benjamin were great fighters. They were military men. Two things you knew about the tribe of Benjamin. They were all left-handed and they all used the same weapon, a sling, an unusual weapon uh, for the military, but it meant they could strike their enemies from afar. Benjamin was a great fighter, but a wolf is also has an unreliable temperament. And Jacob said that Benjamin had an unreliable spirit. But you have to know your kids. If you're going to bless them correctly and personally, you have to know them. Uh, number three, and we don't often think of this because we're talking in spiritual terms, but financial. Of all the graduation parties, of all the weddings that I've ever done over the years, in talking with parents and grandparents, I've never met a parent who wished that their kids would be less well off than they are, Right? There is a financial component, but in a spiritual sense, we're not concerned about how much they have, but how well they've stewarded it, right? So that's part of the blessing as well, that they be trained to steward well the financial resources that God gives them so they have something to give to God's kingdom and to give to those that are in need, right? 
What's the next component? It's binding. This is not something to play with, right? Uh, when Jacob gave, or when Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob, thinking he was giving it to Esau, we're going to see in a moment, he had nothing left to give. It was given. It was binding. Don't mishandle the moment where you declare the blessing. Use exact words. Write it down and read it if you have to. Because what you say will be bound in the heart and the mind of your children and your grandchildren. Make those words count. And then finally, it's prophetic. Now, maybe you come from uh, a faith background where I don't have to explain what that is. But uh, for the rest of us, let me just say it very simply this way. This is the part of the blessing that is forward-looking, where we, we look at our children and our grandchildren and we say, I see in you. This is what I see in you that God has placed there that I want God to pour his favor out on and to develop in you because this is what I see that you could be. That is what is present when a blessing is transferred. Now, we have to ask the question that some of us are asking, which is what happens if the blessing is not transferred, right? What happens then? It's catastrophic. You don't want to mishandle this moment with your kids. Now, important to note that in historically and culturally here with the family of Isaac, Isaac had one blessing to give. He had two sons. He had one blessing to give. In New Testament times, we can give as many blessings as we have children. (laughs) So we are not limited in the way that he was limited, but it is still possible, even though we could give as many blessings as we have children, that sometimes we withhold the blessing. What does it look like in the lives of our kids when the blessing is withheld? So back to the same story, right? Jacob has stolen the blessing. He walks out. Guess who walks in? Esau. I'm here, dad. This is the day. This is the big day. I took down a buck. I've prepared the meal the way you like it. I've got the wine and the meal. Let's eat and then you can bless me. You know what the first words were that he heard back from his father? Who are you? And it says that Isaac trembled violently. What have I done? Who has lied to me? Who has stolen what I so wanted to give to my son Esau? Who are you? Well, I'm your son Esau. I'm here for my blessing. Oh, son, I have given it to your brother. And it says that Esau cried with a cry that was violent and bitter. You know what that would sound like. The whole camp would have heard it. It was a cry in anger. I want to go back to the text because I want to show you what Esau felt about what his brother had done. He, he actually begins these comments by saying, you gave him the right name, right? It says, is he not rightly named Jacob? You know what Jacob means? Deceiver, tripper. He was named that because he was holding on to Esau's heel when they came out of the womb. Deceiver, you, you gave him the right name, dad. 
For he has betrayed me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Wow. And then he turns back to his father and he begins to beg. It's humiliating. He's begging for the blessing. See, your children want this from you, even if they never ask for it. They want it all of their life. Notice how he says it. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master. I've already given it and I've made you a servant to him. And I have given to him all his relatives as servants. And with grain and new wine, I have sustained him. He's sharing the blessing that he poured out on his son. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Just one. Bless me, me as well, my father. So Esau raised his voice and wept. His first cry was in anger. The second one was brokenness. And I think that was the emotional posture of Esau for the rest of his life. So what emerges in the life of the one who has been robbed of the blessing? Three things came up in Esau's life. The first was this, emotional abandonment. He felt forsaken. He felt left behind. On what should have been the greatest day of his life, he got a big fat, who are you from his father? Are there any kids in your family that feel that all they got from you was a who are you? Emotional abandonment. Number two, bitterness. Oh, this was real. I want you to see it. It's just oozing out of Esau's pores. Let's go back to the text. Now, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing, blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. You want to rip apart your entire family? Mishandle the blessing moment, Right? It says in verse 38, so Esau raised his voice and wept bitterly. Number three, they're vulnerable to counterfeit blessings. You know, someone who's robbed of the blessing, someone who knows even before it's not declared over them that they are not going to get it. That person lives all of their life in such a way as to demonstrate that they don't need your blessing. Esau did that. If your kid really wanted to mess with you, if your child really wanted to get you back in the worst way possible, they would marry the wrong person and insert that person into your family to destroy your family. Esau did it not once, not twice, three times. Check this out. When Esau was 40, so this is even before he was robbed of his blessing, but he knew it wasn't coming. He knew that he was never going to get a blessing from his mother. Esau was 40 years old. He took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. These would have been idolatrous tribes. 
and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. The text goes on, and uh, Rebekah declares to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. And she said, if Jacob marries one of them, what good will my life be? Let us send him back to Patamaram. That's where Rebekah was from. I want him to marry a woman that would be like me and be a blessing to our family. And so they sent him away. And when Esau found out that they had not only blessed Jacob, but taken special concern to send him away so that he might get the right kind of wife, Esau married a third time. You know who he married? The wife that he selected was the daughter of Ishmael. You know who Ishmael was? He was the, the illegitimate child of Abraham and Hagar, who would have taken the birthright and the blessing from Isaac if Isaac had not been born and Ishmael was run off, he and his mother, in an unloving way into the wilderness. And he became the arch enemy of Isaac and the tribe of Abraham. And Esau says, you don't want to bless me? Watch this. I'm going to marry the daughter of your arch enemy. Wow. How tragic is all of that? I uh, grew up with a blessing, an amazing blessing. I wouldn't know what it's like to not have a blessing. My parents are still living. They're uh, 82 years old. And uh, I stayed with them last night. They live here in the area. And uh, I can't leave their house without hugs and kisses and them telling me that they love me and that they're proud of me. They have supported me every step of my life's journey. Neither one of them received a blessing as a child. My father especially. My grandfather, my dad's father, was man's man. He was a farmer. And he was a great provider for the family, a terrible protector of the family. He was an angry drunk, and he took it out on his wife and his kids all the time. When my father had just graduated from high school, he's at work out in the barn doing all of the chores, and he finds out that his father has just beaten his younger brother to within an inch of his life, and his dad walks out to the barn and says, and you're Next, my dad had a pitchfork in his hand and so he could get out of the barn and he ran into the house and he grabbed his rifle and he headed back to the barn to kill his father and said, he will never beat us again. And my grandmother, probably sparing both of their lives, wrestled the gun away from him and said, you can't live here anymore. You have to leave. And he left, he joined the military. He eventually 
be sent to Korea. But before he left the country, he was stationed in North Carolina. And there he went with a buddy to a Bible study at a dentist office of all places. And there he heard the gospel and he found salvation in Jesus Christ. And he met his heavenly father who forever changed him. My father stayed present in his father's life, waiting for the blessing, always seeking to be a blessing to his father. And that blessing was never forthcoming. There was a break in the relationship that was not my dad's doing, but my grandfather just didn't want to have anything to do with his oldest son anymore. I remember being there in the room. I was mid-teenage years, and we were in Wisconsin where my, my folks were from, and my dad called my grandfather and said, hey, we're in town, and the kids are here, and they'd love to see you, and, and they made arrangements, and we were going to go over there. And when we got there, my grandfather had left. Never saw him. He died several years later. My father went and preached the funeral for his father. And after the funeral, they opened the will, and my father, the oldest son of seven, was the only one not represented in the will. And I can tell you from that day to this day, I've never heard my father say a bad word about his father. And I don't know how difficult it would have been to flip that script, to go from being robbed of a blessing to being one who could give the blessing in such an amazing way to all of his children. But because of the grace of God in my father's life, he flipped the script. And none of his children have grown up without a blessing. I want to speak to those of you that may have grown up without a blessing. That doesn't mean that you can't give one. If you're not dead, you're not done. I don't care how old your kids are, your grandkids. You can begin today by transferring a blessing to the next generation. And know this, even if you never got a blessing, your heavenly father blessed you in the most amazing way through his son who died on the cross and was raised again for our salvation. There is no greater blessing than that. I love you. And I know that you love your kids and your grandkids and, and I'm begging you to be a blessing to them. Would you pray with me? Father, it is at moments like this when we really see who we are and what's missing inside of us. And maybe that's not our fault and maybe it was because we were robbed of a blessing, but God, we know that we have a heavenly father who loves us and cares about us and who has blessed us in such an amazing way. And Father, I pray that for all of us that we would give a blessing, an intentional transfer of parental affirmation and praying that God would pour out his favor on the next generation. Father, something that would be declared in a moment but delivered over a lifetime. Father, we pray this for all of the RCC families. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. RCC family, love you so much. Thank you for all that you do for Bay Life Church. Be sure to be back next week. We'll see you then.